0: As we uh, talk through a portion of lamentations today, let me just prepare you. We're talking about lament and confession. But let me start with an encouraging story. Uh, I've heard this uh, and, and recount this story many times. I wasn't there. This is a covenant church where this occurred, uh, where the Covenant Church, this is a couple decades ago, was experiencing uh, growth. And so much so that they were expanding beyond their facility. There were at multiple services. They were at a point where they they realized we've got to do something. We've got to change the pattern here uh, because we have a lot of people that are just coming and joining us in worship. And uh, so they were having the meeting where they were discussing, do we sell the space and buy a new place? Do we try something new here? They were were having that decisive meeting. Um, And after a a lot of conversation about concerns about loss of the space they're tied to, but concerns about excitement, you know, of what could be, Um, finally towards the end of that meeting uh, they called upon one of the more senior members of the congregation who happened to be a farmer and they said well gene what do you think we should do and he said well chickens only grow to the size of the coop which was the answer that they needed all of a sudden here was this truth-telling moment in this simple way if we don't move we don't grow anymore That seemed to be the decisive moment for them. It was a moment of truth. And sometimes that's all it takes, right, is when we get to that point of truth. We spin our wheels and spin our wheels, thinking and thinking and trying to figure out what what to do sometimes in life. And then the truth is there and we're presented with it and we have to make a decision and it often can lead us to then forward movement if we respond rightly to it. In the series that we're in right now, we've been talking about forgiveness, we've talked about confession, that's where it all starts, is confession, about laying things before the Lord. We've talked about it in individual terms, but we're, of course, talking about it in corporate terms as well as the church, that when we lay those things down before the Lord, those sins and grievances of the past, grudges, bitterness, whatever it is, that all of a sudden that weight can be lifted from us, and when we lay them before the Lord, we can experience forgiveness. And in that forgiveness, we don't just get a lifted weight in a new way, but we are taught to be forgiving people. And in that forgiveness, we find freedom then to do what God has called us to do. And I want to point out then today, because today as we talk about lamentation, uh, to lament is really to hit a point of truth, I think. And that the point I want to make is that God's best, I think, is experienced when God's people seek truth. When we hit those moments, just like that church asking the question of should we move or not, when we hit those points of truth, those are decisive moments in our lives. As individuals, as a congregation, as we talk this morning, we can hear this both as individuals, as we talk lament, and confession's a part of that, and as God's people. And if we hear it as God's people, on on November 11th, I want to remind us of where we're going with this series, we're going to have a service of consecration where we just take the next season of ministry and we lay it before the Lord in a service of, of consecration where we pray for what God would have us do. It doesn't discount the past. It just says, what's the future? God, we lay this before you. It's something that you see in the life of Israel in the Old Testament. They had those moments of consecration. And we should do the same thing regularly, to lay before the Lord what the future is and where our hearts are in that. And, and we'll, through that, there will be four biblical principles that we'll confess together. One of them that I want you to hear this morning, and they're in an insert that's out in the parlor if you want to pick one up. Biblical principle number three of four states that to move forward, a church must be centered in the mission and message of Jesus. We need to do something so we don't decline is vastly different from a renewed sense of mission flowing from the heart of Jesus. Every single church that has existed and will exist, ourselves included, can experience moments of mission drift where God has called us here, but we went here. Those things happen. Every church that has existed and ever will exist misses the mark sometimes. Those things happen. We could probably all pick out times when we've missed the mark as God's people if we're truthful about it. And we recognize those, and we pick up the pieces, and we move forward, and we lay it before the Lord, and we confess in those moments. God, we didn't do right. Bring us back. That's all we do when we consecrate like this. We want to make sure that we're constantly uh, doing our mission from the heart of Jesus as God's people. Let's turn to Lamentations 3. Let's go to verse 37. 37. Our key verses are 39 and 40, but we'll give it a little broader context this morning. Lamentations 3.37, it says, Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of the Lord or the Most High that both calamities and good things come? Why should the living complain when punished for their sins? Let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven and say we have sinned and rebelled and you have not forgiven. A good working way of understanding lament that I ran into this week was from a Franciscan website, and it was written by Anonymous, a very prolific author. And it said, when we hurt physically, we cry out in pain. When we hurt religiously, we cry out in lament. Lamentation can be described as a loud religious ouch. That's a great description of what's happening in lament. That within our soul or our emotional state, our spiritual state, somehow, beyond the physical, we hurt. We've hit a moment where truth has hit in one way or another, and it doesn't feel good, it doesn't feel right feels completely unsettling. Through Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, we see lament in a whole lot of places. New Testament is not as highlighted, but in the Old Testament, you see it all over the place. Many psalms are lament psalms, even one that we we hear during Lent, Psalm 22, Jesus spoke from the cross. It's one of the lament psalms that doesn't resolve. It's very unsettling to hear and to listen. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's all throughout the Old Testament, at significant and important moments of truth. Those times of lament are often followed by mourning, that crying out in those ouch moments, that this hurts. David laments over Saul and Jonathan. Jesus, we just heard in the New Testament, laments over Jerusalem. I I long to gather you under my wings. Jesus says, that's lament. And here in the book of Lamentations, we see Jeremiah sitting outside of or around the walls of Jerusalem, basically, in destruction and dismay after it's been conquered or as it's being conquered. And the background of this is for about 25 years, in the days of Jeremiah, Jerusalem was being attacked Uh, at different periods of time over a 25-year period of time by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. The northern kingdom of Israel, Israel had broken off from Judah. There's a northern and a southern kingdom. They had already been conquered long ago, but the southern kingdom was still hanging on. Jerusalem is attacked three major times in that 25-year period of time, and this final destruction comes, and Jeremiah sits there and laments and weeps over the loss and the conquering of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. The, the feeling uh, that Jer- Jeremiah has is probably the feeling that we would have if a major superpower came and took over our capital in Washington, D.C., and knocked over the Washington Monument and the Capitol and all the important things, and tipped over Lincoln Memorial. We'd be despondent at that point as a people. That's what Jeremiah is feeling at this moment. Of those three sieges, the second siege that happened to Jerusalem uh, under Nebuchadnezzar, they took away about 10,000 people. They left more behind, but they took away about 10,000. That's the period of Daniel. We might read about him. The third siege, probably almost another 800 more, were taken away to Babylon. And Jerusalem, the temple, is destroyed by that point. It's just utter destruction, utter chaos. Jeremiah sits outside the city as as it's in ruins, And the first words that he writes in Jeremiah are how deserted lies the city, which incidentally in Hebrew is the original title, the first word, how. And that's the question that they're asking, how in the world, God? How did this happen? How do we live through this? What now? How deserted the city lies? Because we can look back and we can see that Israel was supposed to be a city on a hill. Israel was supposed to be a light to the Gentiles to the rest of the world the passage of scripture that we were in last week Acts 15 we didn't read this section but James quotes from the book of uh, Amos in Acts 15 and he, he says after this I'll return and rebuild David's fallen tent its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it why that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name. That's what Israel was supposed to do bring the Gentiles in to be a light to the world. And we can look at Israel's history, and they, Jerusalem is conquered because of their disobedience. We can see that at times throughout their history, they were incredibly good at being obedient. Sometimes it seems too short-lived. At other times, Israel was incredibly good and capable of being disobedient. Both capabilities existed within the people who are supposed to be a light to the world. And the deeper questions we can then ask of Israel are these two, when it comes to obedience, disobedience, is Israel capable of celebrating when they're obedient? Can they celebrate when they walk with the Lord in faithfulness? And importantly, in this situation, can Israel learn from their disobedience so that they can celebrate obedience again? Will they learn from this moment or will they not? Well, church, we stand in continuity with Israel and their purpose. And the church is called to be a light in a dark world. And the church is supposed to be a city on a hill. The church that has always existed throughout history, the church that exists worldwide living now, and the local church that's sitting right here in this room. We're called to be a light to the world and a city on a hill. And the church is capable of being obedient. And the church is very capable of being disobedient. We have both capabilities within us. And the same questions could be applied Not just can Israel, but can the church, can we celebrate when we're obedient as God's people well? And are we capable of learning from our disobedience when that happens? You can see that the disobedience with Israel, you can see that the disobedience within church life uh, can be wide. Sin can sometimes be described, and it is described in scripture quite commonly as an arrow that misses the mark. You know, we shot for the right thing, we aimed for the target, but it just didn't hit. It wasn't intentional. It just didn't work out. That's one end of the spectrum. Of course, you can walk down the spectrum and you can see that not just missing the mark, but, but maybe uh, uh, just ignoring what God was calling us to. And we got a little personal preference in there. And then, of course, the far end of the spectrum, true disobedience that we know what God wants and we're just doing the opposite, right? That's the spectrum of which any entity uh, called the church can, can find themselves on when it comes to disobedience. But one of the things where it comes to lament and truth-telling that we have to recognize within church life, and we can do this in our own personal lives as well, is sometimes things happen and we just have a hard time letting go of those things. We, we, we have a hard time just finally releasing those. Bishop Ambrose of Milan lived in the 300s A.D., I found this quote as I was researching the whole series, and I really appreciated it. He says, Let us then not be ashamed to confess our sins unto the Lord. There is indeed shame when each makes known his sins, but that shame, as it were, plows his land, removes the ever-recurring brambles, prunes the thorns, and gives life to the fruits that he believed were dead. Maybe a different way to conceive of it in the same vein. Uh, I'll give you a story from my own life. Um, The summer before Stephanie and I got married, uh, I was mowing weeds in Colorado for three months because I needed a job. And um, I was working for a property development company and I mowed on the empty lots that were going to get a house but hadn't gotten them yet. The fun part about that is uh, I was in my early 20s, and that was the first time I'd ever driven a tractor in my life. I grew up in Nebraska, and it took me to move to Colorado before I ever had driven a tractor. Um, and so I was driving a tractor with uh, the mower behind it, and there are prairie dogs in northern Colorado, and you'd, you know, you'd kind of come towards them, and they'd be standing there, they'd duck down their hole, you'd mow over their hole, nobody got hurt, and then they'd come back up, and they'd literally shake their fists at you. That's what they do. But, and then, of course, you go back over again, because it was just so fun to watch. But what we were really doing was we were trying to clear out weeds on these empty plots of land uh, so you could see what was there, right? Uh, The people, when they pour pads for different homes around, sometimes the concrete uh, people will have a little left and they'll dump it on an empty lot. You get a big pile, but you can't see that that's a concrete pile until you mow around it. And the developer comes in or somebody's going to buy the land needs to be able to see all that clearly. So you're clearing it out so you can see what needs to be done, so you can see what needs to be removed, so you can see where the house is going to go, what the land actually looks like, because you don't get a good picture unless you take out all those weeds. And every week we'd mow all those weeds over and over again and fight the prairie dogs, and it was actually a load of fun to do it. But that's sometimes what we're we're at the point of when it comes to lament. We're at a truth-telling moment. We're at a moment where we're trying to clear things out so we can understand how to go forward. And I think there are two truths about lament that can help us, as God's people, do God's best together. And, and I'll point these out, and these can be taken very much in a personal sense, very much in a corporate sense. They're really ground level when it comes down to it, but I think they're important to highlight. And the first is that uh, as God's people, when there are those truth-telling moments, we need to learn how to grieve well. So, verse 39 of chapter 3, it says, Why should the living complain when punished for their sins? Now, just because we grieve doesn't mean we cause the problem. But I think this is an important point for the truth-telling part of it, that we need to recognize if there is something that needs to be addressed in our own life, okay, this needs to be addressed, we need to move forward and address it well. But there's also hurt that comes with that and pain. And that can be inflicted upon us, too, by others and by circumstances and all kinds of things. And so, as God's people, we need to understand how to grieve well. And you can't outrun grief. You just can't. You're not fast enough. I'm not fast enough. None of us are fast enough to outrun grief. It will always catch up to you if you try and outrun it. I remember going to see a counselor a number of years ago to wrestle through some things in my own life, very valuable time, and he was a grief expert. I was working with some grief, and he said, You can't, you, it never leaves. So face that truth first grief doesn't go away, it just changes with time, and you learn how to cope with it in different ways. And if we try and outrun grief or we try and skip out on lament, it'll catch up with us, and the wounds are just going to be deeper later. We just have to deal with those uh, down the road instead of now. And in our wing of the evangelical church, we should recognize that sometimes we want to run away from grief and lament very quickly to get on to the positive and get on to the hopeful. And we do try and outrun it sometimes. Sometimes. So we heard, and we'll often, when Lamentations is a good example, Lamentations is sometimes read in church life, but what's the only part that's ever read in church life quite often? They start at, right in the middle of Lamentations 3.22, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They're new every morning, great is your faithfulness. We heard all this this morning rightly, but we heard it with the part that comes before it too, to lead us into that. There's this bright moment in the middle of Lamentations, and sometimes we read Lamentations in church, and we only focus on the bright moment. We have a hard time wrestling with the difficult moments. Interestingly, the book of Lamentations is written as an acrostic. It's five chapters. The fifth one's not an acrostic, but the other four are. So they go with the 24 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, starting each verse with an A, B, C in Hebrew. Um, and verse chapter 3, the one we're on, is actually three verses by three verses is how they do it. And scholars look at that and they say, well, it's poetry, that's very interesting. But I was struck by the late Eugene Peterson comments on this passage. He points out, yeah, it is poetic, but if you notice, God is God from A to Z. And Lamentation seems to bring that about in its very structure. That yes, when good things happen, God is there, but also when we're walking through the hard times, God is God from A to Z walking with us when we lament and grieve. But sometimes we struggle with that. So I know as a pastor in a number of uh, situations where um, I've worked with families who are grieving a miscarriage, they've had well, good meaning. Brothers and sisters say things to them in that grief well, God has a reason, or, or everything happens for a purpose, or God has a purpose, or some, something along those lines, which, yes, God is in this, but those might be misplaced words in the midst of grief. They, in fact, tend to cause more grief than less. Or when somebody loses a spouse, and we forget after a year of how much and how hard that grief is, or after two years after three years we kind of just forget how hard that grief still is to deal with we can't outrun it we have to deal with it we have to do it well and we have to recognize that loss hurts and those wounds hurt and those difficult moments hurt and they will shape us absolutely that's part of the function of what will happen through pain and difficulty but if we don't deal with them well, we get misshapen in the way. We need to deal with the grief and lament well as God's people so that we're shaped as God's people through the pain and the difficulty as we walk together with God. Jeremiah, when he laments here, he's basically saying, God, we didn't value what you value and now we're paying the consequence for generations now we didn't value what you value and now we're looking back and saying we didn't deal with it appropriately we didn't hear what you were valuing and follow through as the church we can experience the same thing right as god's people god calls us but maybe we're not listening very well sometimes that happens Sometimes we follow individual uh, ideas instead of the corporate values as God's people. Sometimes we have expectations that are here, but the church meets them over here, and they don't match up whatsoever, and we're hurt in the process. Sometimes we grieve ministry that's gone away in the past. We remember those days and the good memories. And sometimes, of course, there's friendly fire and hurt. And we grieve those moments, and we have to grieve them well. The other thing, though, that I think, as I said, lament does is it's a truth moment. So we have to grieve those moments, and we're dealing with the truth, and we've got to live in the truth of those moments. So verse 40 of Lamentations 3, it says, Let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord. We have to live in the truth that God calls us back. That's good news. But we have to recognize in the midst of that that the Lord does discipline. And we should be thankful for that. That when we've gone astray, when things have gone wrong, that God disciplines. The author of Hebrews reminds us of this in Hebrews 12. It'll come up on the screen. He says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness." No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained in it. As God's people, if we're going to live in the truth, we have to remember things correctly, not in rose-colored ways. Uh, I remember as a kid, uh, every so often going to a party. at Back then it was showbiz pizza, now it's Chuck E. Cheese's. Right? As a kid, it's really glamorous, it's fun, you've got the automatic people playing the things up front, Right, good birthday cake, and what seemed to me to be good pizza, and then when I became a parent, I remember going to my first birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese and thinking I had a slightly different perspective as a kid on this place, maybe a little rose colored glasses, because I didn't feel like I could stay in the seat because it was so greasy, right? The place is just very different as an adult versus a kid. I still like the pizza, though. So we should recognize that we have to remember correctly in order to be truth tellers and to live in the truth. And we should also recognize that love goes with truth. They do go hand in hand. Scripture tells us that. You, you can't really have love without truth and you don't want to tell truth without love. I'm going to invite the band forward uh, as I kind of round this out here. But speaking of that truth in love issue, I was... Uh, a couple years ago driving from our house uh, to church for a, some meeting or some event or something like that. It was still light out, but it was starting to go down. And uh, two-lane road, just about four blocks away from our house, I stopped because there was a woman in an old Chevy Blazer. It clearly had stopped on her, had leaking fluid underneath, and I could see there was smoke coming out from under. And by stopping, I rolled down my window and realized there was also fire coming out from under the hood. And she's sitting there with her son in the back seat, kind of oblivious. And I said, your car's on fire, get out. And she kind of looked at me like, what are you talking about? And I said, your car's on fire, get out. So she's like, oh, right, I see it. And now it got out. And she started calling uh, 911, and I went down the street because there were some workers. I looked to see if they had a fire extinguisher, and the fire department was there in no time. If I just told her, you know what, I, your car's on fire, but I don't want to inconvenience you with this truth... That's really not a very loving thing to do, is it? We have to speak the truth and love together. Those things must go together. Jeremiah, when he laments in this part of the the passage, he laments, we need to turn back to the Lord. Why? God, we didn't see things correctly. We didn't see what was true. We didn't see in our circumstances where we needed to turn. And we didn't do that then. So we were disobedient. God, forgive us. And now we're paying the price. In the church, we can do the same thing, right? We can fear loss. And so we sometimes don't see the truth. We can misremember the past. Sometimes we don't see the truth clearly. We can fail to analyze the truth before us. The way that we maybe have a message that's unchanging but a culture that is, so we have to present it in a different way. The way that we might have different gifts and abilities within our congregation, and we may or may not see how to use all of those at a particular time. The way we may have different values of what we value at a particular time or a different direction God calls us to go every so often. And we may see those well, and some days we may not. I remember the first church I served. I was sitting down with a ministry leader, I'd been there for two months, and uh, we were planning our fall stuff, the Sunday school, those kinds of things, and the the leader named off, well, this person's going to teach Sunday school when they get back from their summer vacation, and this person's going to do this class group when they get back and we see them again, and this person, they named out four people when we see them come back from the summer, and we're already in September when we're talking about this, and I finally said, you know what, I've been here for two months, I've never met any of those people, and everything I hear is that they've exited the church. Do you think they're coming back? And I remember that ministry leader realizing the truth of the matter and saying, oh, I think you're right. Sometimes we can miss the truth before us. And, and let's just point it out. The peculiarity of church life is we have really long memories and really short memories all at the same time, right? We'll sometimes talk to somebody who's been here for years and we think they've only been here for months, And we'll sometimes talk about a ministry that happened decades ago as if it happened last year. We have really good memories and really bad memories all at the same time. I love the church. I love being a part of the church. I'm just as guilty of that, by the way. God's best is experienced when God's people seek truth. Sometimes we're going to do it perfectly. Sometimes we're going to do it imperfectly. But I want to give us a word of hope at the end of our talking about lament. If you go to the end of Lamentations uh to verse 55 of chapter 3 it says i called on your name lord from the depths of the pit you heard my plea do not close your ears to my cry for relief you came near when i called you and you said do not fear i do believe that when we grieve well and when we live in the truth then god takes up our case and our cause indeed he's already done it through jesus christ and he calls us back when we've gone astray and he allows us to celebrate when we're doing things well. Yeah, we need to live in the truth. Yeah, we need to grieve well. We need to always walk forward in God's ways as God's people. Let's pray together. Lord, may we be people who seek truth. May we be people who seek forgiveness when we've done wrong. May we be people who are willing to confess Regularly, that we could be obedient and celebrate that in your presence. God, may we be people who are willing to ask the questions we need to ask so that we never drift from your intent for us. May we be people who love those who are grieving personally as your people. May we be people who call those to right conduct who have strayed, and do so in love and grace. God, I'm thankful that I get to be a part of your church. I'm thankful that we get to be a part of your church to proclaim your good news to the world around us. May we live as the redeemed through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen.